Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches the following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. PFF Podcast is brought to you by True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson. It's our week 15 review here live on a Monday morning on YouTube. Appreciate everybody watching and appreciate everybody listening on the podcast. Sam, welcome back. Well, nice of you to show up on a Monday. That's only one Monday that I haven't shown up, and it's because I was sick. And it's nice to have you show up on a Monday. Yeah. I'm nice. just welcoming you. Okay. That was quite a loaded welcome, though. It meant, you what know, do you mean? Well, it sounded very much like a criticism of my failure to show up I'm the just previous glad you're Monday. Here. Some Mondays you're not here. At least one Monday yeah, you weren't one here. Monday. Mike Renner did an admirable, admirable job filling in for you. 
Um, Mike and I, Mike's generally way more concise than you and I both are. So when we work with Mike, we both, you know, it's a lot tighter. It's a lot quicker. Yeah. Think we could do that today? No. No shot. No. Um, we'll be here next Monday, too, on Christmas Eve. We will? Yeah. Okay. We'll be doing the pod on Christmas Eve. Like, we don't take no days off here. New Year's Eve, we'll be doing it. No days off here at PFF. All right, let's get into the week 15 action. It all started on Thursday night. I failed at my prediction. You did. I failed at my it. prediction. You probably took us under 500. We're probably right around 500 on our Thursday night predictions. I, I was predicting uh, greatness from Eric Berry. And, you know, he flew around the field and did some things, but he also got lost in coverage on one or two plays and didn't have the six stops that I predicted. But no. um, let's discuss the Chargers and the Chiefs and what's happening now in the AFC. Uh, currently, even though both teams, Chiefs 11-3 and and the Chargers 11-3, and the Chiefs still have the tiebreaker for the number one seed. This is massive these next two weeks. Yeah. We're talking about the difference between the number one and the number five seed. Currently, the Chiefs are at one, the Chargers are at five, and the Texans are the number two seed now thanks to their win against the Jets and New England falling to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll get to that in a minute, but what do you make of Chiefs and Chargers the Thursday night game and then going forward? You are going to love this because I have an outstanding comparison, analogy, if you like, for this Chargers team. Really? Right? Here's what we're talking about here. We, we said this a little bit about when they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. This was a big moment for their season, and it's all about shifting mentality, right, from a team that has always been talented enough to compete and just keeps charging. As the seasons go on, they find a way to charge it away, and it never happens, right? Yep. This season's starting to look a bit different. They go and beat Pittsburgh. That was a big seminal win for them. They then beat Kansas City on the road, the team that they've struggled against the most out of anybody over the past few years. You know what this is, Steve? What is it? It's a lot like the Irish rugby team, right? Oh, it's very similar. You know why it's very like that? Very similar. Because it represents this changing, step-by-step development of a change in mentality from a team that's been talented enough to win to a team that should expect to win and now expects to challenge, in Ireland's case, for the World Cup, yeah. in the Chargers' case, for the Super Bowl. Yeah, the Irish and transformation it, over the last few years has just been spectacular. Exactly. There yeah. you go. So it goes from never beating New Zealand to beating them once, then beating them again. Suddenly, New Zealand are rattled. This it, is what happens with the Chargers, right? It's also, the Chargers also, much like the Irish rugby team, uh, <laughs> just an amazing mix of both veterans there you go. and youth. Yeah. I mean, the, the Chargers have the youth with Derwin James and Mike Williams stepping up, much like the Irish have their, their young guys stepping up here. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I, so I do think there is something to this idea of you don't... It, just being talented enough to win games is not all you need. There is something to this idea that the Patriots know how to win over the years, right? Not just a guy like Tom Brady, who obviously has won everything multiple times, Bill Belichick, etc. But there's an institutional knowledge in New England how you win things, right? So you've got a team like the Rams, like the Chargers, the Chiefs. All of these teams are talented enough to win the Super Bowl, but they don't. they haven't been there before. They haven't done it over and over again they don't know how to come back from these things where think where the season starts to go awry and this is a big thing for the rams right now because they're struggling over the past couple of games it's it's a big thing for the chargers who have seen their seasons fall away time after time you don't just need to be good enough to get it done you need to have that institutional um, experience of how to ride through the the rocky times how to overcome the challenges over the season and still come out of the other side and end up winning. And that's what the Patriots have done so well for years. 
They have that institutional memory. And this analogy, Steve, let's keep it going. Yeah. The Patriots are like New Zealand, right? The All Blacks. They've done it over and over again. They're the best team. Everybody knows this. They just have the experience so that even when things are going badly, they still come back to win. Most of this the time. is like 2013, right? Ireland had them on the ropes, but New Zealand score a try right at the death and end up winning anyway. All right, right? Let's not run the whole podcast off the rails. Not here. the whole podcast, just this part. Okay. The point is, the Chargers season... And with the, starting with the Steelers game, then continuing with this Chiefs game, it is this step-by-step changing of this mentality from, yeah, of course we can win. We probably won't because things will start to go badly. We'll get two scores in the hole and then we're done. To, okay, we can actually do this. We've come back and now we've done it multiple times. Yeah, all right. Now we are a team to be reckoned with. This is, I think, a serious season for the Chargers in terms of finally fulfilling the potential they've had for years, getting over that hump and realizing that they have this talent and they can come back in ugly situations and they can win these games that they probably shouldn't be winning. I mean, they whatever about the Steelers game, I they should not have beaten the Chiefs in the way that game was headed. The Chiefs had that game comfortably in control, but the Chargers didn't panic. They executed the drives, and then suddenly all you need is one stop. It was one of those games where it felt like the Chiefs, and I, and I tweeted it out, and, you know, it, they were up seven at one point or ten or whatever it was, and it just felt like they were they were in control right. and they were up a lot more than they uh, than they actually were. And then you have Philip Rivers, who I mean, it all started out, you know, the way all these other games started. Kansas City drives down, has a great drive. Philip Rivers comes back, throws a duck for an interception, really bad underthrown interception. And it's windy and whatever tough conditions to throw in, and you're like, all right, here we go again. But then you know, Rivers had some. Some pretty bad throws the other night. I think he had four turnover-worthy throws, but some of the throws that he made down the stretch were special. That fourth and long that he threw to Travis Benjamin, the anticipation, I don't know if you guys saw the video of it, but essentially Benjamin's running a post, and before he even thinks about breaking the post, Rivers threw the ball. He threw the ball, and Benjamin took another step vertically and then ran the post, and he put it in literally the only spot that he could catch it. It's one of the best throws of the entire season, especially given the situation. So it kind of speaks to your mentality right you've got talented philip rivers who at other times in his career has imploded right in those situations and he's making clutch throw after clutch throw and then the Chargers go for two yes for the win absolutely and uh, you know these these decisions when they fail become a big thing i don't know are people talking enough about the fact that no. they made this decision and it worked and it's happening and that's potentially going to give them the division title this or an is happening more and more this season it's whatever about whether it's the right call or not, it's the NFL is changing in this direction. Like you go back, you don't have to go back many years where nobody would do that. Nobody would right. even think about going for two at the end of the game to win the game rather than take it to overtime. Every single person would be kicking the ball, taking the point, going to overtime. Now, okay, moving the extra point back probably influences that a bit, you know, where it used to be an absolute automatic. You're going, you're taking the extra point. You're going to overtime. Now there is a chance you miss the extra point because it's a 33-yard kick or whatever it is. Right. So that's it's part changed, of it. It's changed things. Right. That's part of it. But we are seeing this complete change. The teams are willing to go for two to win the game right then and there, which ultimately is the right decision, whether it comes off or not. Um, but the other thing that game showed is what we said all season long, which is when you're going up, when you're in these games where it's all offense, um, your defense, it really only needs like one. It, it only needs one stop because it's about stealing possessions. Um, but 
it doesn't even need like one stop. It needs one play. When you look at the way the the Chargers got their stop, it basically came down to one play in the run game. Um, you know, there was a guy deep penetration, like a tackle for a six yard loss. It's, that's that drive done, right? You're, you're six yards behind the chains. It's second and sixteen or whatever. Now you're in a pretty big hole. The Chiefs don't get it back. And that's the drive, and that's the game. Yeah. Because then the Chargers get the ball back; they're able to tie the or they're able to get to within the two point conversion. They score the two points and they win it. That basically happened because they made one play on defense. I mean, there was there were other plays too because the Patrick Mahomes thing. So a week before Patrick Mahomes against the Baltimore Ravens, it's fourth and forever, and he scrambles out and he makes this ridiculous throw to Tyree Kill, which is special. It's like, hey, Patrick, that's that's unbelievable. But if you're the Chiefs, you can't rely on third and long magic and fourth and long magic every week. So they had another opportunity. They have a false start. And in, you know, in the drive in which the Chiefs are trying to close this thing out, it's either third and 10 or third and 15. And I'm thinking, all right, can Patrick Mahomes do this again? And if I'm the Chargers, do I even try to rush him? Because you know he's, he's really comfortable making these plays outside the pocket. And once you do that, it's so tough to cover for five seconds. And I'm thinking the Chargers should just try to keep him in the pocket. And they got after him, and they sacked him. And that was the play that forces the punt, and then the Chargers uh, are able to drive the ball down for the, on the game-winning drive. So there's things like that, too, where if you're the Chiefs, you can't just keep putting yourself in third and long after that um, tackle for loss in the, in the penalty and just hope that Mahomes is going to bail you out every single time. That would, that's, it's tough to do. The Patrick Mahomes thing is fascinating because – you you've reached this point where you 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 do think like that, right? We don't rush him. We do rush him. Crazy things happen. He completes a forty-yard pass to Tyreek Hill, and we're all screwed. Right. But when you look at his numbers, getting pressure on him does work. Like he is the sixteenth quarterback in the NFL in terms of passer rating under pressure this season. He's thrown almost as many interceptions as he has touchdowns under pressure. I think his seven interceptions is second most in the league behind Ben Roethlisberger. So. Bigger picture, when you pressure him, it does work compared with you know just leaving him alone. And that includes those plays outside the pocket. But the it plays. also creates the biggest and most special plays he makes. Right. So the touchdown where he managed to fit it into some ridiculous window with a guy draped all over him, that's under pressure, obviously. Yeah. Right? Under pre- it's this high-risk, high-reward strategy with Mahomes where, broadly speaking, pressuring Patrick Mahomes works. But it also creates this incredible it also creates his war, his biggest plays or the worst plays you can happen to a defense so you're in this horrible situation where well do we go for it knowing that broadly speaking it's going to work and slow him down but it runs the risk of throwing an absolute dagger into the heart of this defense by doing it it's it's this fascinating strategy it's kind of like the Aaron Rodgers thing right where again broadly speaking pressuring Aaron Rodgers works but he is going to kill you when he gets out of the pocket at some point and throw an absolute dagger into you. So well, do thing, you go for that or not? The thing about Mahomes, too, that I think, and I tweeted this out in a game when this is one of his worst games as far as just missing you know, some easier throws because he had the second lowest percentage of negatively graded passes coming into that game. And that is really what's made him special this year. You know, of all the, the outside the pocket, the spectacular plays, but he wasn't missing easy throws. But it's still probably your best strategy, I think, right? It's kind of like keeping him in the pocket and making him pick you apart over and over again. He missed a few the other night. His two best throws, though, were negated by penalties and or drops. He had a, a, just a beautiful throw that was negated by a penalty, and then he hits Tyreek Hill in the helmet yeah. on a deep ball. 
Um, so Mahomes, with all these touchdowns that he's thrown this year, has had a bunch of drops. By He's had some easy ones, some screens, but he's also had some drops in the end zone as well. So Mahomes still playing at a high level. Um, not to jump into the MVP race okay. again, but immediately. This is, this is just my grinds my gears real quick. Okay. We don't give away awards based off what you just saw. But like, Philip Rivers beat Patrick Mahomes, therefore he's the yeah. new MVP. Yeah. Just because it happened in week 15 and you watched it doesn't make Philip Rivers a better MVP candidate than Patrick Mahomes because of that night. Because also in week one, Patrick Mahomes outplayed Philip Rivers mm. and they beat them on the road. Like those count equally in this season. No, because this one happened just the other day, so we remember okay. it now. So I need to get off. Reason number on these things. However, what number, whatever tally we're up to now, why the MVP award is stupid. I know, but like if you if you follow Twitter during these games, Mahomes throws two nice passes in the first quarter, and it's like just give him the MVP now. And by the end of the game, it's like Philip Rivers, your leader in the MVP race. Yeah, people are out of their mind. But people actually vote like this too. I know that um, this yeah. is like the extreme end of Twitter, but people actually vote like this. Like I was, I was the one watching this primetime game I saw with my own eyes Philip Rivers won that game for the Chargers mm-hmm. he also didn't play as well as Mahomes on a throw for throw basis because he had four turnover worthy throws so just another tally for why MVP is silly Rivers was awesome down the stretch though he was he was spectacular so a lot so a lot of fun there and here's the other thing Chris Jones we got to discuss Chris Jones real quick yeah he's up to 14 sacks by our tally right now um, he's in the second tier of interior <laughs> dis- defensive linemen this year with Aaron Donald there's an Aaron Donald tier. Yeah. There's a Fletcher Cox tier. Mm-hmm. And then there's the next tier where Akeem, Akeem Hicks, Chris Jones, and a few other guys reside. Chris Jones is there. Uh, you and I both uh, tweeted and gave kudos to Mike Renner, you know, our guy that was here last week, because uh, he wanted to put Jones as like a top three player yeah. in the 2016 NFL draft. 16? 17. 16. This is his third year. 16, 17. Yeah. 16 NFL draft. Mm. Um, and he had spectacular grades at Mississippi State. And uh, they've carried over to the NFL. So Jones was disruptive. Dominant game. Three sacks, five QB hits in a hurry. Justin Houston had a great game. But it still comes back down to the Chiefs just don't cover well on the back end overall. This still could come back to bite them in the playoffs. Chris Jones has now overtaken Geno Atkins in total pressures on the year. 62. Do you know the other players that Chris Jones has more total pressures than this year? Vaughn Miller? Let me read you a list. Okay, go ahead. Chris Jones has more total pressures than Geno, as I said. Miles Garrett. Khalil Mack, Demarcus Lawrence, Von Miller, uh, Yannick Ngakwe, Cameron Jordan, uh, Bradley Chubb, Brandon Graham, and many, many others. That's a lot of people that he has more total pressures than. Okay. That's impressive. Yeah, that's a lot. And as we keep saying, interior defensive linemen should not be creating pressure at the same right. rate or better than edge defense. There's only four edge rushers that have more total pressures than Chris Jones, and they are D4, Jerry Hughes, J.J. Watt, and Danelle Hunter. Yeah, really impressive. Um, I think if you back it up, and i got to study this a little bit, if you think if you back it up, though, so much defensive line talent has entered the league over the last three or four years, especially on the interior. So we're seeing, seeing things like that happen with the Aaron Donalds and Fletcher Coxes and Chris Joneses of the world. Um, do you have a pre- do you know what's gonna, what do you think is going to happen down the stretch between these two teams, Chargers and Chiefs? You know, because if the Chiefs have to play at Seattle, that's their big challenge, and then they have Oakland, the Chiefs still control their own destiny when it comes to the number one yeah. seed. I think that's ultimately what's going to happen. The Chiefs will still have the number one seed. The Chargers will still have to do it the hard way, 
which is through the wildcard spot and potentially through Arrowhead again. But again, this is all part of this changing of the mentality that that shouldn't scare them anymore, right? If you went, if this was a situation before that game and they now had to roll in there having lost twice to the Chiefs once uh, at Arrowhead and they're like, well, there's got to be something somewhere in the back of their head that says we're, we're not winning this game, yeah. right? We can, but we probably won't. Yeah. And if we go a score or two down, they're probably giving up, right? Now, they've been there. They've done that. They know they can come back from that. It's still live. I mean, I think that's a, an important change in mentality. That experience of having done that gives them that institutional memory of how to win those ugly con- encounters. You're getting really touchy-feely with this uh, analysis today. It's important. This is, right. It's important because it's just like the Irish rugby team, Steve. It's the same exact thing. Exactly. Uh, the Chargers do have to host the Ravens this week, uh, this Saturday. So that should be a great game. AFC uh, playoff implications. This week we'll preview it later in the week. Uh, where do you want to go next? Do you want to stay in the AFC, discuss uh, the number two seed, and how New England is now potentially playing for a wild card? For in, the a, first in a time, wild card round. For the first time since Randy Moss was playing. Since 2009. Tom Brady, four Super Bowl MVPs, three wild card games played in. Yeah, I mean, Randy Moss is in the Hall of Fame. And he that was, was the last time. Yeah, he was playing the last time they were playing wild card football. They've never played a road wild card game either Ooh, in the Brady era. That's a good one. Yeah. They've only, I mean, they've always, because they've won the division every single year that he's been the starter other than 2002 and they didn't make the playoffs anyway so the the patriots lose to the pittsburgh steelers 17 to 10 yeah you could also say the steelers won 17 to 10 we can, could we yep. can go through there um through their lens as well um the game started out looking like it was going to be a shootout pittsburgh drives down touchdown on their first drive patriots come back with a 63 yard busted coverage touchdown other than that though the steelers defense kept the Patriots to three points. Right. The complete opposite of everything we expected. I really don't understand how this Patriots team wasn't able to score a lot of points against the Steelers defense. The Steelers, look, the Steelers defense played well, and everything that they did poorly in previous years, they did a much better job. They only missed two tackles the entire game, both of them uh, Joe Hayden, okay? And in the past, it was a lot of soft zones, but you could almost tell early in the game when the Patriots, they'd run their little curl routes on the outside, and then the, the Steelers were flying up to the football. There was a couple screens. The Patriots run the same little screen to Edelman that they run on the goal line. They ran it twice. It got stuffed both times. A lot of the short stuff the Steelers took away, um, and New England didn't really try to stretch the field beyond that. And that's the thing. It did feel like this entire defense, okay, it was doing one thing really well, but that's usually when you go, okay, let's show you that thing and then hit you with something else. And the Patriots never really did that. But when they did, it worked. I mean, yeah. those you know play-action shots, there was one play where uh, Morgan Burnett came down so hard on the play-action right. that he decleated the cornerback that was trying to cover Edelman or Hogan, I forget which one, yeah. um, crossing over the middle behind them. Like, that was there pretty much all game. The Patriots just didn't do it. I, I also thought, just from a New England perspective, they were behind the chains so much offensively due to pre-snap penalties and holding calls. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it felt like it, you know, they'd have a good run. 
Then they try to establish the run again. Before you know it, it's a holding call, and it's first and 20. So they were working behind the chains quite a bit, and they just weren't converting those third. You know, credit Pittsburgh for their third and long defense. They did a pretty good job outside of a couple plays. There was one player on the Pittsburgh defense that had any kind of significant number of snaps who was entirely blanked from the stat sheet. Can you name him? Cameron Hayward? No. No, I don't know. Bud Dupree. Oh, Bud, yeah. Who remains staggeringly useless um, as a player. So Artie Burns was on the field for four snaps and had stats. Uh, Tyson Alualu was on the field for 16 snaps, had himself some stats. Uh, Dan McCullers was on the field for two snaps, had himself a hurry. Uh, Bud Dupree was on the field for 31 snaps, had himself nothing. Why do you have to fo- focus on the uh, on the bad stuff? Well, because Bud Dupree is a player that, I mean, if you if you were writing up a list of like PFF draft success stories when it comes to nailing the analysis on, Bud Dupree would be top five, right? Yeah. A guy that everybody loved because he's a special athlete, but who was pretty much useless in college and has remained pretty much useless at the NFL level. I mean, we said going into this game, he had 38 total pressures, and 10 of them were unblocked. And because he got nothing in this game, we can say the same thing. He still has 38 total pressures, and 10 of them are still unblocked. Still unblocked. So, yeah, Bud Dupree, I mean, for a first-round pick, that's pretty staggeringly bad. Um, um, either way, it looked – so T.J. Watt with a couple key rushes, mm-hmm. um, a key sack. And, again, I think that was the story of the game. I don't know – even though New England scored 10 points, I don't know if you need to – I don't think it was this overarching referendum on the Pittsburgh defense. I really think it was this New England killed themselves a little bit. Pittsburgh made the key plays at the right time. Like the timing of their big plays was very impressive. The key rushes against Marcus Cannon really struggled at right tackle for New England. TJ Watt with some really nice rushes. The Joe Hayden interception, terrible decision by Tom Brady, trying to throw the ball away in a pressured pocket, didn't yeah. have enough arm. Um, I don't think he was trying to target anybody. I think he was really trying to throw it into the stands. Didn't get it out of bounds. Hayden with a spectacular catch for the interception along the sideline. And, uh, you know, that was, that was the story of the game. Just key red zone stops for Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, and their offense moved the ball pretty well, even though Roethlisberger had the two interceptions. Overall, their running game was, was really good with Jalen Samuels. They Why? still don't miss Le'Veon Bell. Right. That, so that's a huge thing. Um, the Steelers could not be any better of an advert for the concept that running back is the least important part of having a solid run game right um it's they have a really good offensive line they've had that for a number of years now but particularly this year and they're able to cycle through running backs and it just doesn't make any difference to the impact of their run game particularly as all these guys have been capable receivers and because before the season when our guys ran the numbers when they listed the things that are most important for a run game they actually said so it's offensive line run blocking, then it's your pass game ability, then it's your running back's ability, essentially, right? So they, they have one of the better run blocking units in the league. They've got one of the better quarterbacks in the league, even though he's not always playing like this year in Big Ben, they're at least, but they're one of the best passing offenses in the league as a whole. And then they've got these interchangeable running backs. Jalen Samuels, he ran really hard. I mean, credit him. He's, he's a good player. But 19 for 142... Um, he ran extremely well. Yeah, and he was a good player that didn't need to be taken in the first round or didn't need to be handed a blockbuster $20 million a year contract. Right. But the whole point is it's it really sucks for running backs, right? Because they're incredibly talented players. They 
probably have the hardest job of anybody in terms of just attrition, right? Their gig essentially yeah, is to be up. on the field yeah. every time and run into a buzzsaw, and that's your job, yeah. right? Unlucky. And the thing is, back in the day, you used to at least get fairly compensated for that, whereas now you're told to do it and you may be the least valuable player on our team, so we're not going to pay you big money. Unlucky. Sorry. But that's what Sorry. you signed up for. If you wanted to be a position... Well, you're the star. You get the ball on your hands. Right. If you wanted to be something that got a lot of money and didn't take a lot of hits, you should have been a cornerback. But I'm afraid you play running back, you're not getting paid. Cornerback's going to get... They're gonna right. Get and so it's... it's I, I, get, I have a lot of sympathy for Le'Veon Bell in terms of saying, on a talent basis... I am one of the, what, top 25 players in the National Football League. I should be getting paid big money. But you're more interchangeable. Right. But the, the sad reality is, you're right. In abstract terms, you should be. But that's not how the game works. And unfortunately, I can take what you get, and I can give a fraction of it to James Conner and Jalen Samuels. And if anything, I'm better off because I, I can spend the money elsewhere. And that's just the unfortunate reality of that position now. This is the second straight year Pittsburgh, from a game flow standpoint, ran it to perfection against New England because they, they were able to run the ball. They were taking time off the clock, letting the clock run down. They did shorten the game quite a bit. And then, and then it comes down to your whole thing, you know, just a couple key stops right. here and there because it puts so much pressure on New England's offense. This is another game. Detroit did it earlier this year. If you're moving the ball offensively and you make a couple key stops against New England's offense, it puts a ton of pressure on them to just make to be perfect. Off, uh, New England offensively, Pittsburgh did a great job of controlling the game flow. That game was so fast. We were, we were on Sky TV earlier than ever for, this, their, for our four twenty five start. Were you at all confused by the complete lack of Josh Gordon in this game? That I was because people are talking about Gronk, and it, normally if Gronk's not involved, you're like, hey, why are you not targeting Gronk? But he's clearly not the same player this year, right? Yeah. I was confused by Josh Gordon. There's a lot of Cody Sensabaugh on him. There was a lot of crowding the middle of the field by the Steelers. When teams have had success against New England, it's a lot of let's, let's do some creative things with our safeties. They were doing a lot of really late pre-snap motion. Okay, Josh Gordon had Cody Sensabaugh on him quite a bit. He beat him early on a, on a dig. It was one of like Brady's like fourth or fifth pass of the game. I was expecting more Gordon slant. The slant route's been his route. No deep, no deep ball uh, attempts. This was the Gordon. fewest. This was the fewest uh, targets that Josh Gordon has seen since his first game as a Patriot this season, in which he only played eighteen snaps. This game, yeah. he played fifty-eight snaps and still only saw two targets. There's there's two options here, right? It's either it's either an Edelman game. If the Steelers played the way they had in the past, which was we're gonna you know our linebackers are gonna get stretched out in coverage, then it's an Edelman game because Edelman's gonna be that mismatch weapon against linebackers in space right the uh, once they started taking away the middle of the field stuff then it's like all right josh gordon you have to win out on the outside well philip dorsett's not going to do it gronk can't win on the outside when they, they were lining him up on the outside against joe hayden or hayden was lining up on gronk when he was out there that's a bad matchup for the patriots these days now, so yeah. you're not going there and josh gordon seems like he's the guy when he's facing cody sensabaugh so that one i was a little uh, curious about why he wasn't targeted more often. He did have a draw. He had a third down drop. Yeah, but um, you know, where it still hit him, hit him in the elbow. But um, yeah, I, w- I was expecting more, more there. Um, let's go. Let's go to Houston. Well, the good news is the Patriots might have to play a wild card game for the first time since Randy Moss was there. But if they do, they may play the Houston Texans, and they'll win that comfortably because the Texans still aren't that good. What in the second round? 
Well, when well, the Texans are going to win the division, they're going to get a bye, Sam. The Texans are the number two seed right now. Well, sure. They might not be by the end of it, though. Well, then the Patriots would have the number two seed. Nobody else is in the hunt for the number two? It's no. just those two? That's correct. Okay. Well, whatever. That's if pretty much play, where we are. If they play the Houston Texans, they'll win comfortably. Why do you hate the Texans so much? I don't hate the Texans. They're just not that good. You they look at their grades, right? Even in this one, they got carved up by Sam Darnold this week. Now, granted, they're working against the ginger theory, which remains undefeated. Do we get into the ginger theory right now? Yeah, why not? All right. So we talked about it on the podcast. Matt, do we have, uh, we have a visualization if you guys are live on YouTube. We, we can do? visualize it. We talked about the ginger theory. Sam, Dar- Sam Darnold... The, the lone remaining ginger in the NFL. There's only so much ginger talent. <laughs> healthy to ginger. Go healthy ginger. Once Carson Wentz went down for the season, immediately Sam Darnold has all of the ginger talent remaining. And we're going to get it fired up over here. This is a little behind the scenes with our friend Parker. So here it is. Look at this. Now. So Dalton's hurt. Yep. Injured. Injured. Wentz is hurt. Okay. So now all of this ginger talent swings into Sam Darnold's circle. So it used to be, like last year it was all Wentz. Yeah. Right? Mostly Wentz and like a little bit for Dalton. And this was Carson Palmer last year. Yeah. A little bit of Palmer, a little bit of Dalton, mostly Wentz. Mm-hmm. Right? Now Dalton's hurt. Wentz is hurt. This should be completely on Darnold. The, the light should be shining on Darnold completely. Yeah. It's all swung into Darnold's circle. Yeah. So leading us to predict last week that for the last three weeks of the season, Sam Darnold is going to be the best quarterback in the NFL. Goes out there, has a fantastic game against Houston. Um, I think he's going to be the quarterback of the week, right? Best quarterback this week. He's so, on pace to be the best quarterback right. this week. So we're Despite one. the loss. Yeah. We are one for one. The ginger talent remains undefeated. The That's ginger the type theory. of analysis we're bringing here. You don't get that anywhere else. At PFF. You wanted to credit You guys the guy. have to see. If you're listening on the podcast, I apologize. But you'll have to just check out the YouTube video. Search PFF the, and, and check out our video because we've got the... The diagram here. You wanted to credit the person that came up with the ginger theory because it was a, a listener. It was a listener. And we just don't remember who it was. So yeah, make sure you shame. guys drop us. If you're still listening, I hope you are. But it turns out he was right. Oh, That's he was very point. right. I mean, there's no other way around it. I'm trying to get the analytics guys to really you know, roll this into their uh, yeah. projections. Anyway, my point is Houston got carved up largely by Sam Darnold, who granted was it, working against the ginger theory. There's no way of fighting that. It's Thanks, happen. Matt. But you look at their grades. Right, it's it's the same as it's been all year. It's New Hopkins and Deshaun Watson and nothing else on offense. Like that is their offense. But it might be enough. To, it, it isn't. That is not enough. You cannot. If Hopkins plays the way he did, and you cannot Watson succeed plays the way, in the playoffs good with the other one way. quarterback wide receiver connection. No offensive line. No other receivers. It can't work. Cannot. Watson um, statistically was outstanding on Saturday. He did throwing the ball. He was he was excellent. He was under a ton of pressure, sacked six times, uh, one of which we charged directly to him. Uh, there, were, there were some issues offensively with Houston, and there was a point in the game where the Jets started to take control in, in the middle of the game. But I do you know, credit the Texans down the stretch, uh, made the plays they needed to make. Uh, who's Houston? They still have the Jaguars, and they go to the Eagles. They go to the Nick Foles-led Eagles. So... If the Texans win out, they have the number one seed. But they have to go through Nick Foles at Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, the Eagles at this point could be anything. Yeah, They're like a wounded animal, just lashing out, taking down number one seeds left, right, and center. It's unbelievable. Um, So I'm going to credit the Houston Texans. They do have one of the better defenses. 
in the NFL, and I like what the way that, what they did on the stretch uh, down the stretch in that Jets game. Look at all that. Look at all that green. Yes, the Jets offense. Team. Yeah, but against Sam. Yes, who won? Like Sam, like he won his part of the matchup. Yeah, the rest of the Jets offense wasn't great. Right. Um, but the Texans do have one of those defenses that can be uh, difficult to go against yeah. in a given week. In a given week, right. One of the 15. But their offense is entirely Deshaun Watson to New Hopkins. I just suspect that this team is not as good as its win record has been all the way through the season. We're going to roll into the postseason with everybody saying, well, hey, the Texans are great, they've got a chance, and anybody in the AFC is just going to dispatch them pretty easily. I think the AFC is going to be extremely competitive, though. When you've got the, when you have the Texans, the Chargers, the Chiefs, Patriots, Steelers, and they it's wide open for the first time ever, first time in a while, it's really wide open. Yeah, and they might get through one playoff game because they may have to, they may get the last seed, and the last seed may suck. But if they have to face the Chargers or the Patriots or any of the other good teams in the AFC, they're just they're not going to win. All right, Sam still hates the Houston Texans. Find him at PFF underscore Sam. Houston fans, go get him. Go get him. Uh, speaking of bad fan bases that hate us, let's talk about the Packers and Bears before we get into Eagles Rams oh, again. God, uh, Bears are just, you guys are just attacking our YouTube content. They won the division. Yeah, no, congrats to the Bears. Um, this was one of the better games for Trubisky, I think, just throwing the ball. I was... I was very impressed with actually just um, the confidence with which which he was whipping it around the yard. Some of the uh, pocket movement that he had. He had a bad fumble in there as well. It doesn't matter that the Bears recovered it. It's still a bad fumble. But overall, he played pretty well. And, of course, the defense did another nice job containing another pretty good passing offense, you know, with the Green Bay Packers. Played pretty well, and he had had a grade of 64. Because of the fumble. Take out the fumble. I said he threw the ball well. Mm-hmm. Passing well. grade of 64. The fumble went to his passing grade. It was on a passing play. Sack. Mm-hmm. So he threw the ball well. Did he, though? His passing That's grade. What you got to ask yourself. He threw the ball well. Trubisky. Why? You, every, you are so. If you went back and listened to this, if you heard how negative you are, like we're trying to compliment the Steelers' defense, and you pulled out Bud Dupree. I'm trying to compliment Mitch Trubisky, and you pull out his You're grade. just trying to rescue. You're just trying to crawl out under the pile I, no, of bears. I'm trying to be completely because objective. Because you're the guy that objective reads the YouTube analyst, comments and sees all the thumbs down and has some kind of aneurysm and goes, oh, we've got to get the Bears fans back saying. on side. I don't care about Bears fans. Of course you do. I love you guys. I love Bears fans. So you're just trying to rescue yourself from all this mountain of Chicago hate. They're like, this I'm trying to, fans. I'm trying to keep you real, Steve. So what's I'm trying... Up? I'm trying to maintain no, you're just your level of Johnny integrity negative. while you're trying to abandon it just to chase the Chicago fans. So negative every single day. Um, Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy still uh, can't get it done. Yeah, what if Aaron Rodgers is really the problem? I blame Mike McCarthy for all of this. You blame Mike? Mike for all this? Okay. Seems harsh, but yeah. yeah. Uh, Rodgers threw his first pick since, uh, what, week three or whatever it was in the end zone. Um, should have had a couple the last couple day, a uh, couple games. He's you know still he started missing a couple throws. The last two weeks since McCarthy's been gone have been two of Rogers' worst games passing. Mm. Two of his worst. Oh, I'm gonna have to tweet out the Aaron Rodgers passing grade with and without. What Mike if McCarthy. Aaron Rodgers is really the problem? I think by next year we'll we'll know. You know when they've got a new innovative, when Cliff Kingsbury's there next year, head coach calling yeah. plays. 
Um, we'll have to have a whole Cliff Kingsbury show because that's a whole fascinating. He got fired at Texas Tech, and now they're talking about NFL head coach jobs for him. Yeah, sure. I'm not saying that people are wrong necessarily. It's just fascinating. There's also this. I mean, people seem to be acting like he invented this new fangled system of playing, as opposed to just take take Mike Leach's offense and modify it a little bit. So I think I think what happens in coaching searches it's a, it's a whole separate podcast, but real quick, people think that it's it's the X's and O's, it's the plays that you call that are the most important thing. Like he calls these types of plays, therefore they're all the same. This is like the whole Belichick coaching tree. Well, he calls the same types of plays as Belichick, so they must all be the same thing. When there's so much else that goes into it, like Sean McVay is not successful because he runs outside zone play action like everybody else does. It's because of the other nuance and the way he teaches it and and his feel for play calling and all these other things that he does well and his recall or whatever it is. So Cliff Kingsbury happens to call good, good, the good passing concepts, but it doesn't necessarily Most mean he's going to do come it. from somebody else's offense. Yeah, I, look, I don't know. We'll talk about it. It's, it's an interesting offseason discussion. We'll get Zach involved in that. Um, so the Bears are now a game behind the Rams yeah, for a number one seed. Now are you starting to believe in the Bears a little bit with the way this, again, the defense... Week in, week out, makes it very difficult on opposing passing offenses and run defense and run offense, but mostly passing offenses. That's what matters. And uh, we're starting to believe in the Bears' defense. I mean, did we ever not believe in the Bears' defense? Or more than other defenses. Well, At what point do we elevate them to a different level of this? To an actual top 15 defense as yeah. opposed to the best 15th ranked to defense? I'm, so Coming into the game, four... Three corners in the top 20 in coverage grades. Eddie Jackson, who had another pick. We'll see what happens with his health. But the back end, they're covering extremely well. They are. Um, And for the Bears, I think home field makes more of a difference in the postseason than other teams. Um, Eddie Eddie Jackson, by the way, sprained ankle. Not anything disastrous like it looked like it might have been. But Chicago, you know, Soldier Field in ugly winter conditions – like that's when your defense could actually make a real difference. Oh, yeah. It's one thing if it has to go on the road to Los Angeles and basically needs to turn in the game of its life again to slow down the Rams. Like, okay, they've done it, but they need to do it again. That's not necessarily easy. But playing in ugly, wintry conditions in Chicago potentially magnifies the impact that defense can have, which is kind of what the important thing is in the postseason is that it's not necessarily... At the moment, there's a lot of defenses that are capable of one impressive postseason performance right which would get you over one game but you're gonna have to win three to get you know for a super bowl or four or four so you you need a defense that can't just is capable of not just doing it once but is able to repeat it multiple times and that's just really hard with all these 15th ranked defenses but if you add in wintry conditions that themselves are going to impact offensive performance now suddenly your defense has an advantage again. You've got a really good defense that's capable of one game like that. Now you have weather helping it. Now you've got a real, uh, an, a real um, advantage over a team that doesn't have a great defense is just relying on the weather. Especially if you do have to play the Rams or the Seahawks again. You know, the difference between Chicago playing in L.A. or in Chicago, right? That, that does make that makes a big difference. Um, so we'll see what happens there. The, the Rams... One game ahead of the Bears, but the Bears have the tiebreaker, so that would be the key thing to keep an eye on. Let's discuss the Rams. They struggled again last night, and I don't know. I kind of feel like the, 
all year I've been a believer in the Eagles because I still thought that their roster depth outside of the depletion of the secondary was good enough to win a lot more games. And this this game, I mean, you got Avante Maddox having an incredible game at corner. Like those are the types of things you just can't predict. Cravon LeBlanc, your boy, with a monster game on seventy four snaps. I don't think you can predict when their secondary is going to put up huge games like this. But you can predict Fletcher Cox and Michael Bennett. Those guys are going to get after it. And then Nick Foles, I want to just give him credit for a minute here. He has added, he's made a few, he made a few of these downfield throws where he's getting crushed during the throw, and it looks like it's just going to be a pop-up. And again, some of it was coverage bust by the Rams, but he's getting the ball down the field to these playmakers to go make plays, and it does look a little bit like that Super Bowl runner. At least it did last night. Yeah, um, I mean, the important thing is when those secondary players do turn up, that immediately changes everything because the front seven is still Super Bowl caliber. Yeah, right. So the problem has been their secondary has been so depleted and so banged up that if they suck, they're, which they should because they're all banged up, they're screwed because it's one of the most important parts of a team. But if randomly three of them show up and have really big games... It's a, I mean, it changes everything, right? Because now it's not a problem, it's a strength. And the rest of the team is still in really good shape. Um, you're right, Foles. So Foles is interesting because we talked before that he might be the single most high-variance quarterback in all of the NFL. He's capable of both sublime play and abysmal play. Um, and you don't. I don't think there's any way of predicting which you're going to get at a given time. But what he is able to do that you were remarking on earlier is stand in the face of an absolute sledgehammer that's about to hit him. And not just – so there's some guys – there's a lot of quarterbacks that can do that, but when they get hit in the course of that follow-through, the ball dies and it doesn't get where it's supposed to. Right. Foles is somehow able to get rid of that ball, take the shot on the follow-through, and it doesn't really affect the flight of the ball at all. Um, and we saw that there. He drilled one deep to, to Alshon Jeffrey while Aaron, or Aaron Donald – Delivered like a tomahawk blow yeah, right. to his to his uh, collarbone. Like it, it should have destroyed his arm, collarbone. Like right. It should have been. It should have been. He should have been hurt. But he's still getting the ball there. And when you watch those plays, you're like, all right, this is this is getting picked off, right? And you're like, yeah. wait, it's actually getting there. He's got now, enough power. On it, it did help that that was such a colossal coverage bust. There was like ten yards of open space for There's that to happen. A couple different ones there. There's My favorite thing plays. about that play is how much it required Nelson Aguilar being. Um, let's say, not the most aggressive receiver in the world to happen, right? Well, describe the play. Look, he so, throws the ball deep. Yeah. And there's two Rams players. They basically, there's two Eagles players behind right. the deepest Rams players. It looks like two Eagles players were playing free safety. They basically ran like a double post, right? And he targeted Jeffrey, who was the outside receiver on the post. But it was far enough inside, and it was far, there was enough of a, a rainbow on the throw that Aguilar, as the inside post guy, had a chance to adjust back outside. So you ended up turning it. Both receivers essentially were converging on the ball and both had time to turn, wait for it, and essentially go up and get a jump ball, right? Now, Alshon Jeffrey, being the big physical jump ball winning type receiver, went up, got it, caught the ball. Aguilar, being the opposite of that, (laughs) essentially just stood under it, waiting for it to drop into his lap like a punt. Right? And the thing is, had he been any kind of aggressive receiver, he also would have gone up to try and high point the ball, and the two of them likely would knocked have basically just yeah, not would have defended it from each other and it would have been incomplete. But because Jeffrey is this alpha dog receiver, a jump ball guy, and you know, Aguilar is like whatever, you know, like a beta receiver, a beta dog, 
just went, no, nah, all yours, Alshon. I'll, I'll, I'll wait here behind you in case it gets through, and then we're, we've got a double safe. It actually required Alshon Jeffrey, to, or uh, Aguilar, rather, to be this kind of beta male and let Jeffrey go win it for it to be complete. I just thought there was something kind of fitting about that. Yeah, it was a, it was a weird play overall. Um, so the Eagles now are dangerous. Yeah. At least they seem like they might be. Um, I well, really they're dangerous. Think that's a good game. It doesn't mean it's predictable. Right? But they're potentially dangerous against Houston yeah. next week. Um, now let's discuss Jared. Look at this. Look at this. Jared Goff. Yeah, bad. Weeks. Look at that three-week stretch. Yes. That's bad. It is So bad. we had a nice little, if you guys are on the YouTube channel, please go check it out. We had a little on-the-couch discussion. What's wrong with the Rams offense last week? I was on it. You weren't on it, but it no. was uh, Zach Robinson and George Shahori. And we went through some of the um, schematic stuff that was happening. Like, what, what were teams doing against the Rams? And this is a three-week thing because we're talking about Jared Goff with, this might be the worst three-game stretch of his career. Forget his rookie season. Oh. This is worse than his rookie season. Is it? Yes. I would be surprised. Look at that. No. Those I'm, are big numbers. I bet there's a worse stretch in that Those are big season. numbers. Go ahead. Check it out. I'll, I'll click on it. I will. Um, but Jared Goff is in a terrible three-game stretch. Even the Detroit game uh, three weeks ago was pretty bad. Last week against the Chicago Bears and then last night against the Eagles. Um, yeah, look. There's not, he, didn't, he just had consistent pretty bad games as a rookie. See? But nothing disaster. He's had three disastrous. He didn't play long here. enough. He played all season. We'd have got that. All right. Well, your point's wrong. Um, so Jared Goff's been uh, pretty pretty rough these last couple games. The Rams have completely just lost their rhythm. It seems offensively, and then you have plays where Goff gets stepped on. It's third and one. Uh, it just looks like this offense is pressing. They've lost their rhythm. Maybe they're just front runners, Sam. I don't know if they're just front runners, like they need everything firing, or they just miss Cooper Cup that much with that <laughs> slot option. But Goff gets stepped on on a third and one handoff or play action, falls to the ground. Instead of just eating it and saying, all right, we're going to have to punt, you could tell that they're pressing. He's trying to do too much. He gets up, tries to throw it under pressure with one of the worst interceptions. We're seeing some of the worst interceptions every week now. We have the Russell Wilson one last Monday night. But this Goff one rivals Russell Wilson because he tried to throw it under pressure. It lands... Uh, in the Eagles' hands for an easy interception. Oh, man, the Rams are now pressing offensively. Yeah, that was a truly terrible, terrible play decision, whatever you want to say. Um, it was so bad that Sage Rosenfels, a uh, former NFL quarterback who is known for the Rosencopter, where he attempted to, attempted to pick up a first down running, launched himself through the air, got hit mo- by multiple different people in the air, and just went, Wee! you know, helicopter style. Um, like that's probably his defining career memory, unfortunately for him. And he tweeted this play and said, at least I never did this. Yeah. Uh, so that's how bad that was. But yeah, the Rams. So this is part of this idea that I was talking about before the understanding how to win, right? Things have, everything was easy for the Rams for the first 10, 11 weeks of the season. Now things have started to be a problem and they are wilting. They're not we've, rising. We've, We've seen we've seen defenses tangibly adjust to right. the thing we talked about on the couch was teams playing more two high looks. I thought the boss Chris, um, who did the slide in from the opposite end last right. night, by the way, right opposite end slide in, which was just caught everybody off guard. Everybody, they're changing it up. I mean, uh, what are they going to do next week? I hope he's going to slide in from the or lower him down. Oh my gosh, for the playoffs, yeah, for the playoffs. I hope they have like what they have like five games left to. Uh, 
or four games left to announce this year. I hope they have four specific good slide-ins, new ways to do it. Um, it. But he did a good job of showing what the Eagles were doing defensively. Two high safeties, forcing the Rams to check down a little bit. They're not getting the, uh, the field-stretching type plays that they have. And then we, our, our numbers, too, one of the things we track is quick game. So essentially three-step drop, quick passing attack. Think New England, what they do quite a bit. The Rams have one of the lowest percentages of quick game in the NFL. So there's a lot of boomer bust to their scheme as far as we're going to stretch the field or going to run screens. A screen game is going to be their, their short stuff. There's no just like quick rhythm, uh, quick game type stuff. Um, so if you're taking away the stuff that's stretching the field, you're hamstringing this offense, and that's what's happened in the last three weeks. Yeah, and I think as much – I don't think it's – so some people were saying that they, they've taken away the run game. Right, and that's why they're struggling because they've, they've they've stopped Todd Gurley, and everybody knows that Todd Gurley is the thing that was making this team tick, and blah blah blah. Right? I think I think they they're almost at the right idea, but I think they're coming at it not in the opposite way. They haven't teams haven't stopped Todd Gurley, but the Rams have stopped Todd Gurley. Right? Teams have actually stopped the things that were working, and the Rams haven't yet countered it by leaning more heavily on Todd Gurley. Like they've taken away so much of the passing game. And the answer to that would be, okay, let's ride Todd Gurley and kind of counteract this thing by taking up what you're giving us. And the Rams haven't done that. They have, over the past three weeks, they've been 71% pass, despite teams t- trying to take away That's the, the passing part. So, right, exactly. So, so it's, not the teams have, it's not the teams have taken away Todd Gurley and that's why they're struggling. It's that they've taken away the other stuff and you haven't responded by loading up Todd Gurley. If you say it differently, they have invited Todd Gurley to run by playing the pass more. And the Rams more. haven't taken the invitation. Yes. Right. right. So that's that's the bigger issue, I think. Is, yeah. um, so as much as the run teams game. Teams are sitting in too high saying, we're taking away your play-action right. pass. We're inviting you to run the ball. Um, but the difference, what, like what Chicago was able to do, they took out Todd Gurley because their defensive lineman just won. Right. They won at the line of scrimmage, and they did a good job there. Um but Gurley, I mean, still even three weeks ago when Goff struggled, he was 23 for 132 on the ground against Detroit. Last night, 12 carries for 48. Yeah, maybe they should have run him a little bit more. He was banged up a little bit in the middle of the game and all that stuff, but uh, maybe they should have but run him at least, a little bit more. They're at least 10% higher in terms of run-pass ratio over the last three weeks in terms of pass than they have been before that, right? Yep. So this, this adjustment teams have made or this struggle with Goff um, – they respond by passing it more, whereas actually I think the answer is probably to go a little bit more fundamental old school and load up Todd Gurley against these boxes, which are still light because they're responding. The, the defenses are showing them these two high looks. They're not being shown these eight-man boxes. So the, the Or you go more quick, or you get to the quick game stuff too. But the invitation is definitely there for them to run right. the ball more, and this is the number one run-blocking line in the NFL. There's no reason you shouldn't be running the ball. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, it's uh, they're in a tough spot right now. Unless they uh, start playing a lot better, they have to start adjusting. Um, people are asking me. Somebody asked me on radio, like, why this was one of the lowest scoring games uh, weeks, I guess, uh, over the last few years. And early in the season, we were talking about the explosive scoring and how ridiculous it was. I think there's a little bit of weather involved in some some cases, but I think you're seeing a lot of this. You're a big weather guy. I am. No, but but I mean, there's there's something to it, so <laughs> let's not ignore it. But I think in this case, you you have teams adjust. You just have defenses doing a better job of adjusting. They're adjusting to what the Rams are doing. 
Um, teams are doing a little bit better against Kansas City. Teams are doing a little bit better adjusting to what New Orleans is doing in recent weeks. So the, the offenses that were unstoppable earlier in the season are coming back down to earth a little bit, a little bit of natural regression, a little bit of defense is doing a good job. We should also use this as a counter to this idea that what the league needs is more 55-51 shootout games. Like the Patriots-Steelers was 10-17, and that was a really good game. It was a great game. It was a spectacular game. And, and it felt like, because you've got two offenses that should move the ball on those defenses and the defense the Patriots got some key turnovers the Steelers got some key stops on the defensive side of the ball and that was a good you know exciting game to watch now we're in fly mode we've we've focused on the big stuff now we need to let's let's rapid fire it um Baker Mayfield played on Saturday did not play great but they still won 17 to 16 the coaching was terrible in that game I think some of the decisions no was questionable um any quick takeaway on that game uh, it's almost Christmas. The Browns are still technically alive. Now, okay, they need a tie for them to actually make the playoffs as well as a bunch of other things to happen. So they're not really alive. I'm a believer. But they're technically still alive for playoff consideration. Um, this that one of in and of itself is amazing. Like, look, so however, Baker Mayfield didn't play great, right? But even Baker Mayfield not playing great is a tangible difference from the shower of crap they've had before he was in there, yeah. right? And he still played better than Case yeah. Keenum. He is and a lot. Stylistically, he's just a dramatically different quarterback. He, he, he gives them a completely different um, sort of setup that just makes a difference. This team is in good shape because of Baker Mayfield. Um, and then that defense, again, it's, it's you know Greg Williams' defenses, they cut both ways, right? They're aggressive. They're going to attack. I love the bl- blitzes at the end to shut her down. Sometimes it's love going to it. create some great plays, and sometimes it's going to go bad. But uh, you're, pay- flaying, you're facing Case Keenum, so you know it went good this time. Falcons destroy the Arizona Cardinals, forty to fourteen. Yeah, I don't think there's much to say about that game. Um, that's kind of as expected. Deion Jones, pick six. Deion Jones, pick six. He did play. Which he did. Great. He did play, and he did finally make the play that I've been predicting for the last month or so. Bills beat the Lions 14-13. to Josh Allen continues to just be um, all over the place with the volatility. If, if, if for nothing else, he's going to be exciting to watch every week. He has a bad fumble, trying to scramble, has some key plays down the stretch, and, and leads the comeback for the, the Bills. The Bills did something in this game I've never seen before, which is actually run out of running backs. Well, Josh Allen didn't get hurt. Well, yes. So they went into the game with LaShawn McCoy and somebody else already injured, weren't playing. Then everybody that they had dressed for this game got injured. The fullback was taking running back snaps. He got injured, Patrick DeMarco. DeMarco. So at one point in the game, they were literally without a healthy running back. Incredible. They still pulled Which is kind of remarkable. And the Bills' defense remains uh, sneaky good this year and hidden by uh, a not-so-good uh, offense all season. Uh, the Bengals, the Jeff Driscolls. The Jeff Driscolls. The fighting Jeff Driscolls beat the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders uh, struggle on the road. Coming to our home city over here in Cincinnati. Yeah. Geno Atkins with a dominant game against uh, a pretty bad interior a pretty offensive line. bad offensive line, period. Remember when the Raiders had arguably the best offensive line in the NFL? Yeah, they destroyed that pretty quickly. Yeah. It's bad. I mean, Colton Miller got abused by Sam Hubbard a few times. Uh, the offensive line on the inside was a mess. Everything on that offensive line was pretty much a disaster. We have uh, breaking news here from... Uh, Producer Matt saying uh, MCL sprain for Tyler Boyd, Bengals wide receiver, out for the season. Out for the which season. Which is only two more weeks. Yeah. So 
if you're in your fantasy finals like I am and you have Tyler Boyd, which yeah, I don't. Don't play him. Please, uh, please be noted. Take a note. Um, I was wrong on yeah. our preview podcast about Dak and the Cowboys. I said this could be a game where he's very comfortable and yeah. throws the ball well against this uh, Indianapolis Colts defense, and the Cowboys scored zero points. Yeah. Realistically, if you look at how Dak's played the last couple of weeks, we said – the 455-yard outing was a pretty bad throw-for-throw performance by him two weeks ago. He played at a similar level yesterday. They just didn't connect on any of those deep passes. He went 0-3 down the field. Colts win 23 to nothing. Um, I think it comes back to this overarching, here's the NFL right now. There's, there's, no, you know, there's a couple QBs at the top, but over the next few years, when you don't have dominant performances from guys like Breeze and Brady and Rodgers, the rest of the NFL, it's just like, what's going to happen week to week? It's going to be crazy every single week because of the volatility of quarterback play. This is one of those games, I think, that summed it up. Yeah, it's one of those games where it, it, when you try and do this sort of you know, team-by-team team math, it's like the Cowboys throttle the Saints fairly you know, successfully, shut down arguably the best team in the NFL, and then get completely destroyed by the Colts. And the Colts that just lost 6 to nothing to the Jags right, two weeks ago. It, shouldn't, it doesn't mathematically compute. Um, but I, honestly, I think once, once the old guys that have generally sat atop the league retire, the Bradys and Breezes, and throw Rivers into that mix and Big Ben into that mix, you know, those guys played at a pretty consistent high level for a while. Aaron Rodgers... After that, if, if Mahomes stays at superstar status, below him, it's just going to be a crapshoot every week. From Andrew Luck to Deshaun Watson to Baker to Dak, Wentz, Goff, Trubisky, Allen, Stafford, all these guys. You don't know what you're going to get every single week, and that, I think that's what's going to make it fun. What's really interesting is that so Dallas had, the, their, they had everything wrapped up, right? Now, now they don't because they just lost – Got shut out by the Colts. And Nick Foles is playing now. In the same week that Nick Foles beats the Rams and the Redskins get a win. So suddenly they, they had that division wrapped up. Now they're only one game clear of both those teams. And they're still like that's that division is still wide open again. Now they're still in the best situation, but that's right. that's a live race again. But it's just it is crazy week to week. You mentioned the Redskins winning. Josh Johnson gets the win at Jacksonville. Uh, I need you and you're gonna have to nope. change your Cody no. Kessler take. You just no, your your no. take that Kessler's the best option for this offense, best idiot, the best idiot for the idiot proof offense. It's well, it's not idiot proof because look, that's because the offense not sucks. Points. Everybody else sucks. Yesterday, Bortles the offense is bad. If you're going to run a bad offense, he's the best idiot for your bad offense. No, at some point they've scored 28 points with him at quarterback right. over three games. So get some better players in there. That's not better than what Bortles would do. Well, Borders would also score for the defense. So, yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, at this point, Cody Kessler not as good as Blake Bortles is what I've determined. You don't a, want to come off your he's not your take, problem. but you probably should change your mind. It's an idiot-proof offense, but it's a bad idiot-proof offense. The whole point with all this is that if you're going to run an offense that is this handicapping for but the quarterback. But he's not even doing it well. If you're going to run an offense that is this handicapping for the quarterback, you might as well have the guy in there that's not going to make the critical, ugly decision and turn the ball over. But he's not even now, doing he turned that. the ball over this time, but it wasn't his fault. It he's was a receiver. Doing that. All right. Uh, the Dolphins uh, just destroyed by the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Uh, we've been saying all year, Tannehill, grade, his grade and passer rating, just massive difference. Even QBR, he's like second worst in the league. It's one of the biggest discrepancies of 
passer rating and actual performance. So he came back down to earth. The Vikings had this game in hands the entire time, but still tried to keep the Dolphins in it early with the pick six by Cousins. Pick six and then a blown run defense play that let uh, Kalen Balazs go the distance, 75 yards for a touchdown. So, yeah, yeah, somehow this game, really it was all Vikings for the entirety of this game. And then for a brief second, it was actually pretty close. It was like 21, what was it, 14 or 17? Like the Dolphins got within a score for a while, and then the Vikings continued to beat the crap out of the Dolphins. Um, But it's it's this weird situation because, you know, six points in, in, in one play. You can have a game that's going completely against you, and in two plays, you, you, you're right back in. The whole game changes uh, in an instant. Uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens continue to roll 20-12 to 12 over Tampa Bay. Baltimore playing uh, pretty good defense. Lamar playing the Lamar role, right? I mean, we had uh, Mike Renner's takeaway that he threw into our little takeaway chat that he's more inaccurate than Josh Allen. Yeah. So another, neg- another below-average passing game. But one of those games where the running attack's good and consistent and keeping teams off the field, and it's just uh, if they run their formula, they're tough to beat, especially when the defense is playing well. There is a path to NFL success for Lamar Jackson. At the moment, this is what it looks like. Yeah, for for their team, 49 carries for 242 for 17 missed tackles on the ground. That's what Baltimore did, seven of which was Lamar. He had 18 for 95. Again, only four scrambles in this game for 48 yards. Most of it was in the design game. Sorry, I had the Neals in there, so he was even better than that. Um, but that makes them just – this is a whole different dynamic going up against this Ravens team compared to other teams that are trying to win through the pass, and that makes them a little dangerous too, doesn't it? Oh, it absolutely makes them dangerous. That's why I was saying last week that he should be starting – it's the right decision to start yeah. him instead of Joe Flacco because though he may not be a better quarterback than Joe Flacco, teams do not know how to deal with him yet. Now, until they do – he gives you the better chance to win, which is the important thing. I mean, they are still loading him up as much as pretty much any running back in the NFL. Like he's only had his first game was the 27 carry game. But since then, we've had 11, 17, 14, and 18 carries each game. That's pretty huge. I think we'll, we'll do a full breakdown on the Ravens and Lamar this week on the, on the YouTube channel. I think it deserves it. Uh, Vita Vea was the highest-graded defensive player for the Tampa Bay Bucks. So there's... Uh Something to look forward to. Your first-round pick started to look like college Vita Vea, Mike Renner's words in our chat. Uh, Tennessee Titans over the Giants, 17 to nothing. The rain, certainly a factor in this game. Weather does matter. Tough to throw the ball. Derrick Henry straight beast mode again for the second straight week. Your prediction was so strong it carried two weeks. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. D- downpour on the ground. If only you had a transcendent running back that could uh... – Overcome that, Giants. Negativity again. It's unbelievable, Sam. Saquon's having an excellent season. He is having an excellent season. Wow. He unfortunately could do nothing about this game. Oh, gosh. Have you seen Eli Manning's grade? Uh, Not good. It's a a minus eight. But he's coming back for 2019. It's a minus eight. He's coming back for 2019, Steve. Oh, my gosh. That's bad. It was in the rain. The rain rain certainly didn't help. But, my goodness, that's bad. But you understand that he's going to be playing in the rain again next year. And, in fact, in the outdoors. And there's still the Giants are knocking out. Get Eli in a dome. Jacksonville, build a dome. Sign Eli Manning. Well, maybe that's the Giants' answer. Just put a tent over MetLife. I mean, I'm telling you, if the NFL wants to keep the scoring up, build domes in all 32 cities, and it'll be like arena ball. All right, last game to discuss real quick. Seattle Seahawks. 
losing to the San Francisco 49ers. Again, crazy NFL. Nick Mullins with an excellent game. He just kept making throws when they needed it. Every, every time you thought Seattle might start to pull away, San Francisco stays in it, wins it in overtime. Go Nick. See, I told you that game would be closer than you thought it was going to be. That was rainy, too. No, okay, I didn't think they'd win. But rainy. I did think it would be close. Um, so this is what I, I – Washington Post columnist, don't you know, Steve? Yeah, yeah. A couple of weeks ago – You have a big, big one this week coming out, don't you? A couple of weeks ago, um, I was writing about the sort of five biggest problems on the Washington Redskins roster. And actually, it's weird because their biggest problems have basically just been injuries. They're actually not in bad shape pretty much across the board. It's just that everybody's hurt. Um, but one of the things I did take issue with was the idea that they were trotting out Mark Sanchez and Josh Johnson, right? Not because, I mean, injuries happen. When you lose two quarterbacks, you're screwed. doesn't yeah. matter who you are. Basically, you're down at the third string. You have problems. But at that point, the very minimum you can do is to have a guy that you have as your third string who there is a point of playing, right? Just to find out what he is. So the 49ers lose their quarterback in uh, Jimmy. Jimmy Garoppolo. They then have C.J. Beathard. Okay, he gets a bit banged up as well. Now, their third-string guy is Nick Mullins. And at least there is a purpose in putting Nick Mullins out there. And it turns out Nick Mullins is not a bad quarterback. He's actually played pretty well during the time he's on the field. But at the very minimum, they are getting the remainder of this season to figure out what Nick Mullins is. Now, if he sucked, if he was a disaster, fine. We move on to another third-string quarterback who we can take a look at in future. But no loss, right? If it turns out he's actually useful, A, you could potentially flip him for to a quarterback desperate team down the line and maybe get something out of him. B, you might actually find out you've dramatically upgraded your backup spot yeah. down the line. Washington hit their third string, and there was nobody. There was Mark Sanchez, right? Nobody, there is no purpose to playing Mark Sanchez for the remainder of the season. There is no shot that he is going to take you to the playoffs, and you learn nothing out of doing it. Josh Johnson, same idea. You bring this guy in off the street— this was his first touchdown for his seventh touchdown of his career he threw in this past game. Career. I don't know. how. I mean, how many has Nick Mullins got? But it's probably got seven already, right? Don't make me pull it out. George um, Kittle was awesome again, by the way. Yes, and Nick Mullins missed him on a few plays. So, he yeah, did. Nick Mullins already has ten touchdowns. Josh Johnson has seven for his career. This is um, his breakout year. Yes. I like it. But the point is, if you're going to go down to your third string, you're probably boned anyway, so at least find out something about the third-string quarterback other than, no, it turns out the rest of the league had this right, this guy does suck. That's, that was my big criticism of this, right? Yeah. So the 49ers, I think you have to give them kudos. They had a guy who was grading really well in college for us, BFF College at Southern he Miss. Did. He had a good. He had one big, really good year. Had a really good preseason grade for us, yep. and they had him as their third-string guy. Was he on the practice squad before they... Before I'm Jimmy sure G if went down, squad or not. so let's assume he was without checking it out. He was on the practice squad. They activated him when Jimmy G goes down. He's their backup. Suddenly, he's thrust into the starting role, and it turns out they've actually they may have unearthed something here. Now he's probably not going to be a starter going forward, but he looks like he's a better backup job than C.J. Beathard, and potentially gives them one of the best backup quarterback situations in the NFL. Yeah. They've learned that because they had a guy who had potential as their number three quarterback. It's. We'll talk about roster, you know, construction another time. But I would I would store quarterbacks. I know you need depth. I know you need guys ready for when guys are injured. But you don't need Mark Sanchez. You don't. But I would store potential quarterbacks like Nick Mullins. So kudos to the 49ers. Maybe they found yeah. 
a little something. No kudos, kudos to us for doing this on, in under two hours. No kudos to Washington. No kudos to Washington. No. They found Josh Johnson. Yeah. They won. They beat Jacksonville. They did. All right, guys, that'll do it. Week 15's in the books. We'll be back here again Thursday slash Friday. Yeah, late Thursday. Thursday we have no Thursday prediction this week. It's sad. No Thursday night football. But right. yeah, we'll be predicting week 16 later in the week. Be sure to hit us up over at profootballfocus.com and then our YouTube channel for more great content. And uh, go check out PFF Elite. It's all over at profootballfocus.com. That's where you get your premium stats and all of the fun grades and numbers that we use on this show. Welcome back, Sam. Thanks. On Monday. See you guys on Thursday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.